Please pray with me. Most Holy Father, Father, we thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity, Father, to be able to, to call you Daddy. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to know that you have been with us and you will take care of us and you, through your son, give us salvation. Father, we know this is a, a transition for mankind. We know that the law doesn't work. We know that the law is a physical thing, Father. As long as we, we don't steal, don't kill, we're following the law, Father, but the law never changed our hearts. Our hearts could, could be, be far away from you. Our hearts could be thinking of sin, Father, but you sent your son not only give us grace and mercy, but to change us, like Brother Mike says, change us from the inside out. And that's what make that relationship one. And we thank you for that. Father, we thank you for his love for us. And he showed that through his death, burial, and through the resurrection. And Father, we pray that as he came back, he was resurrected, that we too may walk in newness of life and understand the importance of the change of heart. That's where we start and that's where we continue to grow in you. We pray this prayer in the name of your son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, amen. Oh. 
The table is still set today for those that did not have an opportunity this morning to take of the Lord's Supper. Still gather here today <clears throat> in fellowship to remember the fellowship we have with Christ, to remember his life and his death, his resurrection, his ascension, it gave us hope, and gave us a promise, and the only thing that could wash us of our, of our sins. As we prepare to partake of the bread, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for your son's life, a perfect life given to us, Father, a life upon this earth where he taught us who you are, showed us who you are, demonstrated your power, and provided an example for us, Father, as we partake of this bread of unleavened bread, that part of his life, Father, we pray that uh, would be with those that partake. We pray this in his name. Amen. Let's continue in prayer. Father, we also come to thank you for the life that was given willingly upon the cross, Father, to suffer and take upon our sins to shed his blood, Father, for our sins and to wash away those sins. We thank you for that great gift. The only thing that enables us to walk forward from our weakness, Father, be with those who partake of this emblem of that shed blood. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. <clears throat> Separate and apart, we also have an opportunity to recognize how blessed we are each and every day of our lives. No matter what the trials and tribulations that face us, we are a blessed people. We are a blessed nation. Uh, we should never forget that. And uh, as we uh, prepare to give back, let's, let's have a short prayer. Father, we thank you so very much for all those blessings you give to us. We know that we have much, Father. We pray that from those things that you had given, given to us, Father, not only those physical blessings we have, but we also pray, Father, that we would give back of our time and our talents to serve and glorify you and spread the word. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. There is a name I love to hear, I love to sing its word. It sounds like music in my ear, the sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, because he first loved me. It tells me of a 
All right. I'm going to try to speak louder than the thunder outside, huh? <clears throat> Chuck was saying that, you know, the only worst thing that could happen is if the lightning strikes and knocks all the power. If the power goes out, we're going to take that as a sign from the Lord. All right, so we are in our last book of our series on the epistles, the letters from Paul from prison. Uh, our last one is Colossians, as you remember. Mike started with Galatians, and then I did Ephesians, Philippians, and now we're in Colossians. So, if you look on the map here, this is uh, Turkey area here, and here's Colossae, that's where Colossians was written to. Again, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippi right here, Ephesus and Philippi right here, Colossians. Notice it's all in a square right here. Lots of important stuff going on right here. So, again, I want you to be thinking as we go through this study on the book of Colossians from the perspective of Paul is writing while he is in prison on his way to his death. Um, he, as we learned uh, with the Philippians, he was not 100% sure, at least when he wrote to the church in Philippi, that he was on his way to his death, but he knew it wasn't looking good. Um, we also learned at the end of Philippians that at that point in time, even members of the household of Caesar himself were being converted to Christianity. So that's a really cool thing. To, uh, to think about. The other thing I want to point out is the church of Galatia, the church of, Ephesians, of, of Ephesus, and the church of Philippi all had very, very close relationship with Paul. He knew them very well, right? Um, he spent a lot of time with these churches. Colossae, very different. In fact, I'm going to show you in the first chapter why I think it's extremely different from um, the rest of those churches. This, according to Tours of Turkey is modern day Colossae. So these are pictures from modern day Colossae. One thing I will point out to you is it's funny that every time I looked up archaeological evidence or, or archaeological um, sites of these different um, um, towns being, you know, Philippi, Galatia, um, Ephesus. And Colossae, they all look very similar. Um, if you if 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 you go and look at that yourself, you will see that. But it's because the Greeks, the Romans, that influence, especially in that area of the world, still dominated. So the structures would have looked the same. The towns would have been been built very similar. In fact. When the Greeks and the Romans both came in and took over a place that you, were, that, that you were a part of, and they took over your city, they would always put their most important people up on a hill, right, for defensive purposes. They built their cities very similar. They had very similar structures, um, kind of like us, right? When you go to certain cities, you expect to see a Longhorn, which, by the way, is coming to Titusville. Don't know if you're excited about it, but I'm excited about it. Eh? The old Denny's Hotel... Denny Slash Hotel, that will be a Longhorn before you know it. Maybe. No, it's coming, but you know, before you know it, maybe. 
My house was supposed to be done in February. I'm still in an apartment, so you know. <clears throat> but we're getting close, too. So, anyway, pretty bustling town at one point in time. Um, one other thing I guess you should know is that it was not as prominent as some of the other places that Paul wrote to. It was actually um, known not for their gold mines, not for their extreme wealth, but they did have amazing wool. They were fur traders. Um, so not the richest uh, group of people that uh, Paul dealt with. Um, might explain some things here in a minute, maybe not, being a little facetious. Alright, so let's go ahead and get into it because we've got a bunch of verses to get through. I'm going to do this as quick as I possibly can. Okay, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. So Timothy probably wrote it while Paul um, spoke it. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard... I want to start emphasizing that since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. So he heard of it, right, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. As it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love. Your love in, and it looks like uh, that didn't fit. So, look at this real quick. Verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing of Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Okay, so what I wanted you to see in this first part is all these other churches that we've been studying that Paul has wrote these letters to in his last days, in his final days, while he's in prison in Rome, right? These are all churches he's been working very closely with. He knows people by name. He knows what they look like. When he's thinking about them, he has images, pictures of them in his head because he's worked so closely, closely with them, right? He's even, he's even on his way to this spot, met with some of them at different very important times because of the relationship that they had. As far as I can tell... In chapter 1, he says over and over again, I don't know you. I've heard of you. I've heard all about you. I've heard about your faith. I've heard about your love. I've heard about the hope that you have. I've heard about the truth of the gospel that you now live. He knows of the minister that's there. But it's a very big difference. I also want to point out this, verse 10, because I think if you go back and you look at um, uh, spe specifically Philippians, because that's the freshest in my brain, right? If you look at that, you will find a lot of language that is very similar to verse 10, right? Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord was a big point of 
um, Philippians, the letter to Philippians as well. So walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Here it goes. Did that do that on that screen too? Struggle right there? Alright, it's going to get interesting. Might have to bring me my phone up here. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now I want you to see this because I think he's also about to make a few more parallels that I think are very interesting. Some of the most interesting stuff in chapter 1. It says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. We all understand that, right? He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we were all once in the domain of darkness and now we have been transferred to the kingdom of Jesus Christ through His death, burial, and resurrection, which He's going to get into a little bit more. All right? So, he is, and everything in red is Jesus, right? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, right? Going back to, going back to this, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of the beloved Son. You've got in heaven and on earth. Check this out, it's going to get a little bit better. And, uh, in the visible and the invisible. So he created... Everything being Jesus. Jesus created everything. In the beginning, when it says in the beginning God, part of what that is talking about is Jesus. Okay? In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Who did that? Well, according to Paul, to the church in Colossae, Colossae it was Jesus who did that. Right? Okay. So, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. All things were created through him, meaning he had part in the creation, and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Why is this significant? Because there are a lot of people, even still today, right, that are willing to say that Jesus was a great person. Very few people will deny that he ever actually existed, right? It's pretty obvious that he existed. There's more to back up his existence than a lot of other historical people that we think for sure existed and teach about. So very few people argue that he did exist. What people argue about, is he the son of God? That's what people argue about. In fact, there's other religions that will even tell you that in their religion, they consider him to be a prophet. A great man of God, just not God. Okay? This was a problem in Colossae. Why? The most interesting fact I haven't told you about. What was Colossae most famous for in New Testament times? Does anybody know? They had a cult. Yeah, they had a cult. Exciting times, right? They had a cult that worshipped angels. In fact, 
in Colossae, they believe that Michael the archangel actually created this spring that turned into a river. And it's a holy site. And they worshiped angels. You know, there's, I won't call everything out by name, but there are other parts of religion that also as well worship angels. And there are other parts of religion that focus on the Bible as their word of God that would also tell you that Jesus was not the son of God. He was a son of God. Meaning that Hebrews 1 does not exist because he was just another angel like the rest of the sons of God. Right? Maybe that's true, maybe that's not, but what do you think this is saying to these people? It's definitely not saying that he was a prophet or, or a man of God. It's saying that he was the God, the creator, that which existed before everything else that was created. Right? Because he was before all things and in him all things held together. And then it says this, and he, something weird is going on. I, I'm going to have to read off of this one. This one is just blurry over here all of a sudden. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is, it's going blurry again. Is that my eyes? It's starting to freak me out a little bit. Uh, <clears throat> he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, and everything he might be Number one, and everything he might be before, right? He was the first of everything. He was the greatest of everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It's not part of God in there. He's not in the likeness of of God. He's not created in the image of God. You are. That's not what he was. In him, the entire fullness of God dwelled. In him, every aspect of God dwelled. Listen, you might be godly, but not every aspect of God dwells in you. Even on your best day. This is where he's different than every other person that ever walked the face of the planet. That's what I want you to see because that's the exact point that Paul is trying to make. There is nobody greater than Jesus. There is nothing greater than Jesus. He's God. Okay, and then look at this, verse 20. And I, you know, I want to really dig into this in the future. Chuck's always giving me tough Tough sermon lessons. I got one for you, Chuck. Verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So when he died on the cross, and I've expressed this before, I don't know exactly what this means. That's for Chuck to do a sermon on in the near future. Okay, just hold your breath. It's coming. Okay? But when he died, he died for all sin. We all acknowledge that, right? That's not a mystery in the scripture. He died for all sin, but not just for the sin of me and you and all human beings, but even for the sin of potentially the fallen angels. 
Or potentially those who were the sons of God that's, that decided that the daughters of earth, right, of man, were beautiful, right? And they came and made babies with them, right? Genesis, before the flood. It says that through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. What else could have possibly needed to be reconciled? According to scripture, I can't think of anything. Making peace by the blood of his cross. So he died once and for all, for all sin, not just the sin on earth, but the sin that was in the heavenly places, in the invisible parts. And then he's going to make this personal. So the green is you, just in case you were wondering. I started with you at the top so you wouldn't forget that part. And then it says in you. Who's he talking about? Well, more specifically, he's talking about Gentiles, but he's really talking about all of us because our sin is what separated us, right? Our sin is what alienated us, which is that first green word, right? And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. He took you from the domain of darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of the Son of God, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, okay? He's the head, you are the body. He has now reconciled the body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless. Look at that, it comes up again, those two exact words from this morning, right? But he adds another, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. And above reproach before him. You know what above reproach means? Above reproach means that when Satan comes, being the accuser, that's his name. That's what his title means. He's the accuser. He's going to stand before God and try to tell God all the sin you ever did. And all the reasons why you shouldn't get to heaven. And all the reasons you're bad and God shouldn't love you. You know what above reproach means? It means Satan has nothing to accuse you for. That's what it means. When scriptures say that we need to be people who are above reproach, it's saying don't give people a reason to accuse you of something wrong. Oh, that's a tough task. That's what we're called to do. Right? So, holy and blameless, holy being set apart, blameless meaning that all the sin that you ever committed won't be held against you, and then above reproach meaning that Satan, even though he wants to accuse you, he won't be able to. You're above reproach. There is nothing to accuse you of. If indeed you continue in the faith. See, it's not just a come to Jesus moment. Oh man, this sounds really good. Let me get baptized, have my sins washed away, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, become a member of the kingdom of God, and then I just get to go out and do whatever I want to do. I've repented that one time for all my sin, and I can just walk out and do whatever I want to do. That's not the reality. Right? That would be nice. But that's not what it says. It says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. I want you to understand that what that just said is actually extremely important. Because what that is saying is that the first part of the second coming of Christ, which, which must be fulfilled is that all of the gospel had to be proclaimed to the entire world. That's the first part before Jesus can come. Paul is telling you at the end of the life, that's already happened. 
At the end of his life, that's already happened. At least he believes that's already happened, okay? Which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And then he says this. this is, we're getting to the very end of the chapter right now. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. Why is he suffering? Because he's been in prison. Why is he in prison? We learned that in, Philippi, in, in Philippians, right? Everybody in the whole place knows the only reason why he's been in prison. He's been in prison because he believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They locked him up because of his religious belief in Jesus Christ. Now that is stunning at this point, but in the next couple hundred years, that's going to be so normal, it's not going to be stunning anymore. In fact, people are, many people are going to die. Many people are going to be martyred for their belief in Jesus Christ. And you've got event after event after event that proves that over and over and over again. Rome is not done killing Christians at this point in time. In fact, they're just getting started. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. That is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them, this is that mystery. This is it. He's about to tell you it. The mystery hidden for the ages. He already told you a little bit that when Jesus died, he died for all sin. Not just all mankind's sin. All sin. All sin and all of creation. The visible and the invisible parts, right? All those in the domain of darkness have now had their sin forgiven. Okay? So here's that mystery. That's the first part. Here's the second part. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You. Here's the second part of that mystery. One, it's not just for a group of people that we read the scripture for this morning in Deuteronomy, right? That were promised to be God's treasured possession. Now, the entire world is God's treasured possession. Every single person in the world can become a child of God. This is the new covenant. This is the mystery that's been ushered in by the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Not just a holy man, the Son of God. Okay? Alright, almost done. Second, third part of that mystery is probably the biggest part the Jews had a problem with. One they didn't like. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. You go back and you read the part where uh, Jesus talks about this being that, that he is the fulfillment of the prophecy and he is the Messiah, right? And then the, and he's doing that in the uh, tabernacle and then all of a sudden they, they want to kill him. You remember that? All of a sudden they want to kill Jesus? Well, he said two things. One, he said he was the Messiah. That made him really mad. But then he also quoted scripture from the prophet that said, and this isn't just for you, but it's for the Gentiles as well. The Jews had a problem with that. They wanted to be the holy one, the special people, the elect of God. Okay? The other big problem they had with was when he looked at them and told them that your temple without God is meaningless and I'm going to destroy it and rebuild it in three days. Remember that? He also told them, you actually value the gold that the temple's made out of more than the God that lives in it. 
This is Christ in you. You see, you go back and you study the Old Testament, and one of the things you will find is that there were many very special people of God. And many of those very special people that had extraordinary tasks to be handled in the history of God's Scripture were full of the Holy Spirit. They were full of the Spirit. They were given the Spirit of God. That was one of the things that made them very special. In the New Covenant, we all get that. That's the third mystery that He's coming to fully reveal. In the New Covenant, we all get the gift of the Holy Spirit. God dwelling in us. Christ in us, right? That's how we can develop the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ, which the Scriptures talk about. All right, verse 28 him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. You know, this is the goal of the ministry at North Brevard. It always has been and always will be that we grow together in the Lord, but that we all reach a level of maturity in Christ Jesus. That's the goal. Think about how much you've grown since the day you committed to the Lord. Think about how much you've changed. How much God has changed you. Changed your heart. Changed your mind. Changed the very essence of who you are, why you live, and what you do things for. Your purpose. Think about how much more you think about God in your life than you did before. That's the maturity of Christ. That's what we're looking for. And I love how he says verse 29, because I want you to, I, I cannot emphasize this enough. I've been trying to for the last few weeks, but I, it, it just keeps coming up in Scripture. It's like God won't let it go. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy, not my energy, right? I toil and struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. God is not just a man. Jesus is not just a man. He was not just a great prophet. He was not somebody who kind of had a good eye for what the world was. He was the son of God. And he can live in you. And he can work in you. And just like we talked about this morning, he actually needs you. You're part of the plan. We are his workmanship. We are the quality of his work. That's what we are. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you been washed in his blood, receiving the forgiveness of, of sins? Being given the gift of the Holy Spirit, being added to the kingdom, the body of Christ, which Jesus is head. Many of us already have done that. Are we living in such a way that makes Christ preeminent? Preeminent in our life. First in all things. Created by all things in our life, created by God, held together by God.
Where are we at in our life? Are we still trying to do everything on our own or are we giving things to God? Is He preeminent in your life? If there's a need to respond to the invitation, you can come as together we stand and sing. each of you for being back here this evening. I'm just going to make a couple reminders before we close. First of all, our food pantry is open tomorrow. Uh, that takes a lot of people to pull that off and we need uh, a lot of help. If you're not busy tomorrow, see Sue, she will find a job for you. Also, the ladies of the congregation are invited to go out to lunch on September 24th. They will be going down to Longhorn and Vieira. If you would like to do that, please sign the list in the foyer. They're going to leave here about 11. Uh, sign the list so they know about how many to expect. Please get a bulletin. Uh, be praying for all those that are on the sick list. I'm going to mention just a couple. Bob Caddy is recovering from uh, COVID and some complications from that. 
He is doing better, but please continue to pray for him. Calvin Nobles is also making progress. Continue to pray that his kidneys wake up completely. Gail will be doing a, a risky uh, health procedure on Tuesday. We ask your prayers for her. And also remember Glenda Massey, who's in a lot of pain from some fractures in her back. Thank you. We'll lead, shall I crucify my, crucify my Savior, and then be led in our closing prayer. Shall I crucify my Savior? Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day, a day that you yourself set aside for us to come together to worship you and to fellowship with one another. Father, we pray that those things have been pleasing to you. We thank you, Father, so much for the great love that you have for us, the love that extended even to you, sending your Son to suffer and die for us. Father, we pray for those of our number that are struggling with health problems. Pray that you heal them, protect them. Be with those that are taking care of them. Father, we ask your blessings also on those college students that have left us and are away from home. Father, especially those that are away for the first time, we pray that you 
uh, comfort them and keep them from being too homesick. Father, we pray for those of our number that are traveling this week. Keep them safe. Give them safe travels. Father, be with us as we leave this place. Guide us in all that we do. In Jesus' holy name, amen.